0: We'll be continuing on our sermon series through the book of Ephesians. Uh, Last week we looked at Ephesians, uh, the end of Ephesians 5. We're going to zoom in on a few of those verses from that last passage and zoom in to look at what the the Lord has to say to us this morning. And just to give you a heads up on what we'll be doing over the next few weeks in this month, um, this will be our last sermon in Ephesians for the rest of the month, the rest of the month, we're going to uh, focus on the, the the coming of the Lord Jesus, His first coming, as we look to celebrate the Christmas and the Advent season, um, and then we'll pick up in uh, Ephesians in the in the new year um, at, at chapter the beginning of chapter 6. So I think it was a good time to break at that moment because uh, when we pick up next week, we're going to look at these spirit-filled, or next year, uh, we're going to look at spirit-filled relationships. So we're going to talk about today what it means to have a spirit-filled life, and then we're going to see how that impacts, really, first and foremost, our relationships in our homes, in our workplaces, with our children, with our spouse, and that that there will pick up next next year in, in that. So this morning we're going to read these last few verses of chapter 5 and then dive in to see what the Lord has to say to us about a spirit-filled life. So let's read that. Uh, Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to pick up in verse 18. And it says this, if I can find it in my Bible. There we go. And do not get drunk with wine, which is debauchery, But be filled by the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making music in your hearts to the Lord. Always giving thanks to God the Father for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So this passage starts off with a verse that says don't be filled with wine but be filled with the spirit that's the main command in this kind of a a two-part command don't be filled with wine but be filled with the spirit really i think the emphasis is on that second part be filled with the spirit now what does that mean what does that mean to be filled with the spirit uh, if you can believe it, there's debate about what that means. I, I, I know that surprises you that there's a debate about that, but there is. There's a debate about what it means to be filled with the Spirit, even within uh, Southern Baptist circles. What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? Is being filled with the Spirit something different than salvation? Is it something special or extra, some kind of secondary experience that we uh, that we can have for certain people, certain believers? Is it something that happened in the past and now it's continuing on in the present? Um, Do we still need to be filled with the Spirit or is that all done? Is that good? Is that taken care of? All these questions pop up when we talk about the Holy Spirit. And here we find Paul commanding us to be filled by the Spirit. So when we think about being filled with the Spirit, we know that John 17 in the Gospel speaks of uh, Jesus praying for us. In his last night, um, before he died, he sat down, he prayed, he spent time with his disciples, and he prayed for us, he prayed for you um, and me, that we would be, uh, that we'd be filled with the Holy Spirit, that the comforter, um, the paraclete, as it said, he was going to send uh, to be with us, to, to um, convict the world of sin, and to guide us into righteousness. The Holy Spirit was promised to us in that prayer. And then from there, the first chapter of Acts speaks of um, Jesus saying, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit um, upon you, and you're going to be my witnesses. Uh, throughout the ends of the earth, in, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So we did see the Holy Spirit as something that Jesus promised, that Jesus planned to send to us, um, and that impacts our lives as believers. And as you read those two accounts, it appears that that is something that all believers experience. All believers experience a filling of the Holy Spirit, an indwelling of the Holy Spirit. As we look in the Old Testament... Um, the Lord's Spirit would, would um, dwell within the temple in, in a physical location, um, but although we knew He was everywhere in the world. In the same way, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come upon people for certain times, certain aspects. So, uh, like when Samson uh, knocked down the walls that last time, when, when uh, prophets would speak, there were certain times when the Holy Spirit would come for a, a special time. But in the New Testament, it seems that the Holy Spirit... Is not a temporary um, presence, but a permanent presence with those who trust in the Lord, uh, the Holy Spirit dwelling in our hearts. But sometimes in the New Testament, I think still there's, there's two um, aspects of the Holy Spirit impacting our lives. Sometimes the Holy Spirit still does come upon people for special events or special reasons or miracles. We see that in the book of Acts for sure. But we also see, um, as those guys spoke and, and, and had the Holy Spirit in them, there was a, just a special calling of the Lord in those moments. So sometimes the Holy Spirit comes on people for special reasons. But at all times, the Holy Spirit comes on us for general reasons. At every moment of the believer's life, the, the Spirit is and should be present in our lives, aiding us and helping us live this life. And I think that kind of filling of the Holy Spirit is what this passage is speaking of. Not not necessarily a special, um, unique experience of the Holy Spirit, which we do see in Scripture, but I think this part is talking about a continual filling of the Holy Spirit, a continual filling of the Holy Spirit. And we might ask that question of, okay, then... Um, weren't we already filled with the Holy Spirit? Why do we need to pray and, 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 and be filled again with the Holy Spirit? And we can think of a, a, a cup of water. Um, so a cup, this is an example I read, This a cup of water is filled, or a cup is filled with water, and then that water can be poured out, and then there's no, um, there's no water in it. But if you fill a cup up to the brim, we all know. Uh, when we watch our kids pour a cup of milk or a cup of, Soda or pop or anything like that. Uh, Once it's full, ain't no more room, right? Uh, That cup begins to overflow. So that's not really a good example of what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Because once we're filled, if it's the cup example, then there's no more room for anything else. I think a better example would be a balloon. You take a balloon and you blow that balloon up just a little bit. And that balloon is completely 100% full of air. It's full of air. But there's more room in that balloon for air to an extent, right? So as we become believers, immediately the Holy Spirit fills us. The Holy Spirit fills us completely. Yet as we continue to grow in Christ and we continue to be sanctified and made more like Christ, we can have the Holy Spirit fill us to a greater extent. Um, Just like that balloon can be filled up right when you start to blow it up, but then you can continue to blow up that balloon and it becomes more full of air. No matter how small or how big that balloon is, it's full, it's filled, but that balloon can grow. And in the same way, I think that's what this passage is speaking of. Us being filled with, continuing, continually, depending on the Holy Spirit, and growing in godliness and sanctification. Now look at the example that Paul uses... Or the negative example Paul uses to show us what it mean, what it looks like to be filled with the Spirit. He says, "Don't be filled with wine, but be filled with the Spirit." Now, I think it's a it's 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 a, an important thing for us to stop and take a look at this because alcohol is a topic that will come up in a lot of conversations when we say, "Should Christians drink alcohol? Should they not?" Um, so, I figured it, it's my pastoral duty to just take a small excursion to talk about that really quick before we go through and look at what happens to a person when they're filled with the holy spirit so this verse does speak of alcohol it speaks of um of wine and this word wine is uh, this greek word winos is where we get the word wine from and this was a drink that could intoxicate somebody Um, as it says don't be filled with wine which is debauchery Uh, so this was a drink that could that could intoxicate somebody and paul says that don't be filled with this but be filled with the holy spirit So just like wine, um, what wine does, what it impacts somebody, it has an overall all-encompassing effect on somebody, right? When somebody drinks wine, they're physically changed. Um, Their their speech may be slurred. Their vision may be impaired. Their body temperature changes. uh, Their face can even become a a shade of red, like a rosy shade. Like, your body is physically changed by that alcohol. But also, your mental capacity is changed. You make decisions that you normally wouldn't make. Um, when you're filled with alcohol, when you're filled with wine. And you feel things that maybe you normally wouldn't feel. Whether, maybe um, those emotions are heightened. Somebody that's happy becomes really happy, or someone that's an angry person becomes more angry. Uh, the point is this. You're physically, mentally, and emotionally impacted by, by wine uh, when you're filled with it. So Paul points to that and says, you know when, when someone drinks wine and their, their whole person is impacted by the filling of that wine, You shouldn't be filled with wine, but you should be filled with the Holy Spirit in that way, in that same way. It's a comparison saying just as wine impacts every part of your person, the Holy Spirit, when it fills you, should impact every part of your person. Every part of your spirit should be impacted by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit should change the way you think. You should make decisions that you normally wouldn't make In and of your own capacity, meaning you're choosing to love other people when you normally wouldn't love somebody. You're choosing to serve somebody when you normally wouldn't serve somebody. Um, You feel um, a heightened sense of love for the Lord that you normally wouldn't feel if the Holy Spirit were not inside you. So do you see the comparison that Paul's making? In the same way that alcohol impacts somebody completely, the Holy Spirit should impact somebody completely. Now, when we use this verse, though, I think this verse in regard to alcohol, I want to say this. This verse can be used to point to the negative effects of alcohol in general. It can be used to point to the negative effects of alcohol. Uh, This verse calls uh, um, being drunk. It calls it debauchery, which is overindulgence, excess. And we all know that an overindulgence in alcohol can have negative effects on people's life. Absolutely, no one's going to argue to the, to the contrast. Um, alcohol can have a negative effect on our life. So this verse can be used to point to those negative effects, but I don't think this verse can be used to say Christians cannot consume alcohol at all. Because we see other portions of the New Testament command, where Paul encourages Timothy, take a bit of, of wine for your stomach um, as for medicinal purposes. So this verse does not tell us Christians cannot consume wine. It does warn against being drunk and even calls drunkenness a sin. Absolutely. But for wine to pass through the body, through the stomach and out the body, that, that is not a sin based on this verse. So this passage doesn't agree with other passages as far as, um, as far as that goes. And also Paul speaks of being drunk as debauchery, not just consuming alcohol. And then also Paul's point in this verse is yes, don't be filled with wine, but the main point of this verse is be filled with the Holy Spirit. So if we're going to point to this verse, the main command it's giving us is to be filled with the Holy Spirit and using alcohol and drunkenness as an example of the, the overall impact that wine has on the human, or that the Holy Spirit should have on a human. So with that being said, what does the Holy Spirit do to us? So if... For example, someone were drunk, we would be able to tell. Maybe we didn't see them consume the alcohol, but we could tell by the way they walked, the way they talked, and the way they behaved. In the same way, if somebody's filled with the Holy Spirit, we should be able to look at them and say, that person is filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, That person, uh, the Holy Spirit's inside of them, changing them. And here's what I think is interesting about this passage, what I love about this passage. When we read through these things, it's going to tell us that we... Um, When we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we're going to do some INGs. We're going to be singing, we're going to be giving thanks, and we're going to be submitting to others. Singing, giving, submitting. And these are normal, regular practices of every believer. When we're filled with the Holy Spirit, or when we're commanded to be filled with the Holy Spirit, that doesn't mean necessarily all the time, that we're doing something that would appear miraculous to the normal human standard, right? It doesn't mean that we're um, calling on a, a mountain to move from one place to the other or right raising somebody from the dead or healing uh, the sick or something like that. We, sometimes we can think to be filled with the Holy Spirit means do miraculous things. But let me tell you this. This verse points to when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you do normal things like seeing about the Lord. And you give thanks in every single little thing that comes your way. And you submit to the people, the godly people in your life. And those things really are miraculous in and of themselves. So let's look at these things really quick just to see what are the characteristics of somebody who's filled with the Holy Spirit. First, we are singing people. Verse 19 says that we would be addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord in our heart. Christians are singing people. If you get a group of Christians together for very long, they're going to start singing about something. Uh, We love to sing. Uh, It's it's a common practice in every culture um, that we would sing, every Christian culture. Um, When when Whitney and I went to um, India, they loved to sing. Um, you know what one of their favorite songs to sing was? Um, yes, this is the day, but the other one. Um, good night. There is a fountain filled with blood. Uh, that I never remember hearing that song in the United States, but they sang it all the time. So I knew the tune to uh, There is a Fountain. Before I knew the English words to there is a fountain. Because they, they took that song and, and adapted it and put it in their own language. Every Christian culture loves to sing. And this passage speaks of singing. And it gives us three categories for singing. Uh, I think these are three distinct categories. You could say just this is, these are just singing all these different kinds of things. That's just singing in general. But I think there's three distinct categories here. It says uh, addressing one another in psalms. Those are uh, songs that are based specifically on those 150 poems in the Old Testament. It says hymns. I think these are songs that are produced in order to teach doctrine, uh, to teach teaching. So we find that in like Philippians 2, the Christ hymn that speaks of uh, Jesus humbling himself, becoming nothing. We see that in Colossians 1 where it speaks of Jesus being the head of all things and the head of the church. Though I think those are ancient hymns that were put together uh, that they would teach doctrine. And then there's spiritual songs, possibly some kind of impromptu personal song that somebody might sing. So it says teaching, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Why is singing so important? Why is singing so important? Let me ask you another question. Why is music even a thing. Why, why does music exist? Have you ever thought about that? We don't need it. Um, if we never heard another song, uh, we would, we'd be able to eat, we'd be able to have um, shelter, we'd be able to breathe, all those things. Music's not necessary at all. But how boring would life be without music? Am I right? I mean, music does something to us and impacts us in a special way. Music was given to us by God for a reason. I think there's a few reasons. One, I think songs help us to disciple. Um, I try to be very intentional about the songs that we sing here because I know that most of you, when you leave here after this sermon, you're probably not going to be talking about what I said during the sermon, but you're probably going to be humming and singing some of the songs we sang. hopefully. And if I want something to get stuck in your mind for the rest of the week, I want it to be something based on, derived from the Word of God. So that as you sing, and as you think upon the songs that we sang today, you've got the word of God rolling around in your mind. So that's why I think songs help us to disciple. Songs help us to learn and remember. Um, if you've ever, maybe, if, if, you, if you go on YouTube, you can find um, commercials and ads from a million years ago, um, even like back into the 80s and the 70s. And it's amazing. You, you listen to those ads and you realize, I still remember all the words to this, this ad for uh, Double Mint Gum. Like you start singing all those words. And that's something you heard when you were five years old or six years old. That's still stuck in your mind. Why? Because it's put to music. Because it's put to music. So it sticks in your mind. Songs help us to remember truths. It helps us to remember things. even Even in difficult times in your life. When you go through some of the the deepest tragedies and darkest times in your life, those songs that you learn can be brought back to mind. I'm sure a lot of us have uh, spent time at one point or another um, next to somebody on their deathbed. I've done it several times as a pastor, Um, even within my family, I've done that. And you know what often happens, again, to use the example I just mentioned? There were not a lot of quotes of great sermons that were preached, but there were some hymns sung and there were some songs sung in those darkest moments. Why? Because that truth of God's word is lodged, is screwed onto your brain because of that music, because that song meant so much to you in those moments. And we can all think back to those moments. God gives us music that we might be discipled and that we might learn and remember. Songs also help us to feel What we normally don't feel. In every language, there's prose and poetry. Prose is just the normal stuff, like what we read in in Paul right here. Uh, I believe this because of that. Hey, how you doing? Here's what I need you guys to do. That's prose. That's normal conversation. Poetry, on the other hand, takes thoughts and beautifies them. That's what poetry does. It's the beautification of thought. And as we think of singing songs to one another, singing songs in this room to the Lord... It helps us to feel the things that the scripture was intended to feel. You can say, um, you know, I believe in God and nothing's going to change that and he helps me through tough times. But when we read a song, sing a song that says through every high and stormy gale, um, I hold the Christ. How's it go? My My anger holds within the veil like that says something different. We feel the truth of going through the storms of life and being held down by Christ when we sing it that way. I could say, Jesus helps you through tough times. That's true and all. But when we sing it in that way, it helps us to feel uh, what the scripture is intending us to feel. And ultimately, songs help us to worship the Lord. This verse says to make melody within your heart. Make melody within your heart. As we sing worship songs on a Sunday morning, Um, we're doing two things. One, we're singing and we're hearing one another sing and encouraging one another to live the Christian life. But we're also singing to the Lord. These songs that we sing are sung to the Lord, to honor Him, to glorify Him, to, to magnify Him. And He loves to hear those things. But may we not be a people that only sing and don't believe the things that we sing. A song can be elegant and extravagant and beautifully poetic and theologically rock solid, but it can fall short of glorifying the Lord if it's not sung with a trusting heart. As we sing the words on Sunday mornings, we sing to the Lord. May our hearts be attuned to what we're actually singing. People who are filled with the Holy Spirit are people who sing, sing with joy, who are joyous in their singing. Also, people who are filled with the Holy Spirit are giving thanks Are giving thanks. Number two, giving thanks. This says to give thanks always and everything to God, the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. We talked last week about giving thanks. But just a reminder that we're to give thanks in everything to God. It's proper. The proper response for us is to give thanks to the Lord in everything that he's done. And this verse does say to give thanks in everything. And that's a really hard thing to do because there's a lot of things that happen in our life that we don't want to say thank you for. That we aren't particularly thankful for. But as we submit to the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit gives us new eyes. It gives us glasses, which obviously I need new glasses because I can't see the thing back there. Um, But when the Holy Spirit comes in your life, it gives us new eyes. And we're able to see something in a dark situation that we normally wouldn't be able to see because the Holy Spirit gives us that insight. To be able to go through um, a difficult diagnosis or the loss of a family member, the loss of a job, Um, When we have the Holy Spirit in our life, we can see those things from a different perspective. And sure, maybe we're not saying, I'm glad for this diagnosis, but we can say, I'm thankful within that diagnosis. I'm not glad for this loss, but I can be thankful within this loss because the Holy Spirit gives us that ability to push through those darkest times. And when we're looking to Christ, like this verse says, we give thanks in everything in the name of Jesus, realizing that every blessing that we receive ultimately comes because of Christ's death. Christ's death on the cross definitely forgives us of sin, but also in the book of Ephesians, as we saw in chapter 1, speaks of Christ's death uniting all things, making the world right again. Because this world is fallen, not just humans, but this creation is a fallen creation. But through Christ, God is restoring not only his people, but the place on which his people will dwell for eternity, making a new heavens and a new earth. And through Christ, all the blessings that we receive in this life are through his sacrificial death for us. So people who are filled with the Holy Spirit are those who are continually giving thanks, being thankful for everything. And then finally, people who are filled with the Holy Spirit are those who are submitting to one another. And this one maybe comes to you kind of a, a wild left turn. Out of, you're like, Holy Spirit fills us and we sing. Yeah, that's good. I, I get that. Holy Spirit fills us and we give thanks. Makes sense. Holy Spirit fills us and we submit. That's like, whoa, that, that's a little weird. That's, that's uh, not what I expected to come. But this says that as the Holy Spirit fills us, we'll be submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Uh, this word submission means to rank oneself under someone else. So to, to, to rank, rank yourself below. Um, it's a military term, the idea of submitting to a certain person, somebody who has authority over you. And the Holy Spirit gives us power to do that because that's not something that comes natural to us, right? We're not people who desire to submit. But when the Holy Spirit comes upon us, it gives us the ability to do that. Notice that this, this submission is mutual. It's to one another, submitting to one another. Um, when we submit to one another within the church, the setting of the church, We're submitting to somebody prayerfully that is also filled with the Holy Spirit. It's a good thing to submit to somebody who's filled with the Holy Spirit because those are going to be moments in your life when you have blind spots to your own sin, your own needs, and that person can speak into your life. And also notice that when you submit to one another, it's in reverence to Christ, in reverence to Christ. Submitting to people or submitting to proper authority reveals or displays the heart that's submitting to God. Say that again. Submitting to proper authority displays a heart that is submitting to God. If you see somebody who's designed to be rebellious against all kinds of authority, it's likely that they have a rebellious heart against the Lord as well. But submitting to others out of reverence for Christ displays that we have a heart submitting to God. But we're only called to submit to others to the extent in which that allows us to glorify the Lord. We're going to look at what that looks like in a marriage um, and in a home um, starting in the new year when we pick Ephesians up. But let this be the foundation of submitting to others is something that all Christians are called to do in order that we can uh, glorify God, display a heart that's trusting in God to the extent that we can glorify him within that. We're never called to follow and submit to somebody who's leading us to sin against God. By no means should we do that. But submitting really is a reflection of the heart of Christ, because we have a Christ who prayed in the garden, your will, not mine. Jesus, the son of God, submitted to the will of the father. He said, not your will, not mine. He's also this. Jesus is also the one who got down on his knees and washed the feet of the disciples, Uh, even the feet of the disciple who was going to turn on him. This is the Jesus who gave up his time, his social status to serve the weak and the poor. And ultimately, he is the one who humbled himself to give his life on the cross for your sins. And when we display a submissive heart, we're displaying the heart of Christ. Christ who lived a life of perfect submission to the Lord, submitting to our needs over his so a spirit-filled life, in conclusion, is a spirit-filled life is one that should characterize all Christians in a normal way of things. Giving thanks in all things. The few examples that this pointed to is a life of joy that's expressed in singing. A life of thankfulness as opposed to a life of complaining. And a life of submitting to others instead of trying to dominate others. And This kind of grace-filled living takes grace from the Lord. So let's sing this song here in a few moments of this grace that God gives us that's greater than our sin. Because our sin will keep us from living a spirit filled life, but if grace, if we trust in this grace that God has given us, this grace is greater than all our sin. So let's sing this song this morning.